What's going on, guys and gals? My name is Chris Tonnevold, and this is Ambition Radio. This is a podcast where we try to find people that have found that balance between their life, family, career, and the pursuit of their passions, dreams, or hobbies. This week, we have part two of the interview with musician Wes Rice. Part two covers his amazing recording experiences in Nashville, his father passing away, and the moment that sparked the writing of his song, By My Side, what you should do when you have extra money coming in, and of course, the most important thing to keep in mind throughout everything, Wu-Tang is forever. As always, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, follow me on Spotify, and subscribe on Google Play or however you get your podcasts. Thank you for everything. Here's the show. Enjoy. In my basement, it's uh, like our stairs are in the middle of the basement. Mm. And when you come down the stairs, the one side is just open like normal basement mm-hmm. space, couch, TV, blah, blah, blah. Then on the other side of the stairs is a bathroom and then this like weird L-shaped kind of room. Mm-hmm. I've For the longest time, we were just, it was kind of storage. And then, so I've taken that space and I've tried, that's what is becoming this studio area. So like this space that I'm in right now is probably five feet wide and like eight feet long. I mean, that's enough, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's plenty. It's just uh, just out of camera view. Is just piles of storage things. <laughs> the other space that when you come in here initially is enough room. Like I got my drum set up over there and they're all mic'd up right now. Yeah. And yeah. That's what I was gonna ask you. Is that is is that the, the spot that you were doing your live stream from? Cause I I have to tell you, I am <laughs> so jealous of your tagging skills, of your graffiti skills. <laughs> Mostly because I don't think that I have the motor control to actually use a spray paint can. And then also like paint inside the lines that you just created. I don't, I don't, I don't think I can do that. It definitely didn't work like I hoped it would, but I mean, it worked well enough. Yeah. On some of it, like on the blink logo, the, the overspray and the part where it runs down, like it looks cool, but I couldn't really get the messed logo. The messed logo was too small for me right. to make the spray can work. Right. I'm going to go ahead and uh, fill that whole wall up with stuff though. I already talked to a couple guys today and trying to grab some posters. Like I talked to Ryan Escalopio and he's got a couple Wakefield posters from way back. Oh, nice. I'm going to snag one nice. of them from him. Yeah, that'll be cool to have like a little tribute to it, right? Like uh, all the all the little local stuff on top of everything else. I think that would be cool. Yeah. Because we were talking last time about um, how you don't know how to play pop punk, apparently. Uh, and then you just went through and played all of pop punk for it which was cool uh, i can i can play it i can't write it oh, that's yeah that's what it is write it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah yeah i can take another like me first into gimme gimme's like i could do that all day just turn another song into it right but i can't just write like a newfound tune <laughs> <laughs> well you just got to go back to like basics of uh three chords and you know just find find your anger right you got to you got to watch some Star Wars and then figure out how to get angry. I think that's how that works. Yeah. Oh, man. Miller would love to hear you say that <laughs> because I haven't watched Star Wars at all. Like we attempted. At all? Me, my whole family. My whole family, we attempted to. Like 20 minutes into the first one. I'm just like, eh, this, this ain't my thing. Wait, like at all? Like from 1970 to like now? Yeah, I've seen 20 minutes of the first one. Wow. I don't I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I will say though, like none of it nothing against Star Wars specifically, but none of that stuff does it for me. Huh. Star Wars, Star Trek, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, like 
I don't watch any of that. <laughs> okay. All right. And my daughter, my Carly, my 14 year old, like she's seen every Harry Potter probably five times. She loves it. We went to uh, Disney last year and went to Potter World in Universal Studios. She like yeah, yeah. lost her mind. And she had her, her, all her stuff on, like her robe, her glasses. She got her wand. She had drawn on, drawn on the lightning bolt <laughs> on her forehead. Like she was all in. I don't know about all that. Like I, I read most of the books and it was fine, but the movies I I didn't care about. You not seeing any Star Wars as an adult person in today's society makes me sad. <laughs> there's 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 a lot to it. Uh, what do you like then? Like what what have you been watching throughout everything? Uh, I watched Ozark. Okay. I watched that, and I hadn't. I just started Ozark like two weeks ago. Okay. So, oh wow, watched okay. all watched all three of those, and uh, that was cool. I was totally into. It. How do you like that end? Oh, it was great. Yeah. Here's my question though. So the FBI chick called him and told him, "Don't get on that plane." Right. If he didn't get on the plane, then I want to know, like, had Navarro already thought that far ahead? Like, all right, if Marty shows up, she's out. If he don't show up, you know, if if Marty didn't get on the plane, he and the whole family, they were going to be murdered. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got a feeling that he's he's always like four steps ahead. Yeah. And even even though he's like losing more or less the, the war that's happening down there, I feel like he's still he's still really far ahead on on his own stuff to where whatever decisions that uh, were made. He has an answer for. He has kind of an end, end result already in his mind. Yeah. I don't feel like he's very emotional when it comes to making decisions. I feel like he weighs out everything and whatever brings him the most value. And I, I feel like I, I completely forgot her name, but the lawyer just m- lost Helen. Yeah. Helen. Yeah. I feel yeah. like she just lost maybe some confidence. You know, or uh, in her from him, or or something, and now that the the birds have proven themselves to to basically be a little bit of everything, because uh, yeah. the wife can be a little bit of badass if you let her off, but you know, she's. I think she's going to get hurt more than uh, Marty. Like she's going to burn a little bit because there's going to be a decision that she makes that she's going to regret. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you there. Yeah. So did did you watch Breaking Bad? I did not. No. So it's as I was starting to watch, I was probably like halfway through season one of Ozark. I saw that people were comparing it to Breaking Bad. Okay. And uh which I can totally see that. Like it's very comparable. But it's almost like whoever wrote Ozark watched Breaking Bad probably five times. <laughs> and then was like, All right, let's do this again. And here's how we can make it more interesting. Oh, okay. Because there's spots, yeah. There's some like, there's definitely some, some dull spots throughout Breaking Bad. Okay. And uh, it's, it, I mean, in Ozark, it's Marty and Wendy, and then Breaking Bad was uh, Walt and Jesse. But it's such a different dynamic in that pair. Yeah. That it's Ozark is definitely more interesting. Like Walt's wife wasn't involved in any of his business right so the fact that wendy's involved makes it 
way more intense. Yeah, I think so. And even the kids, like, I guess Marty tried sheltering them so much. And now that everything's, you know, blown up and basically in their faces, having that is such a bigger impact. I think the, uh, the interaction between the son and everybody else is going to get pretty hairy to where he could possibly just tell everybody, you know, to, to screw off. Like I'm, I am the security now or, or whatever. He's going to have like a cool arc where he, he gets to be like a little bit of a, I'd like to see him turn into some kind of muscle, but like a smart muscle, if that makes sense. Yeah. I feel like he's going to, but I'm with you though. I think he's going to turn against them before he gets back on the team. Yeah. I mean, you can already kind of see that happening. Yeah, there's. I think there there might be a little bit of teenage angst in there where he's he's already kind of there, and it's just going to take something in the next season or two where it just splits him off a little bit, and he'll have to come back because something terrible happens or, or something like that. And he's it with with Helen being gone though. I think anybody's on the table to get got. Because I thought she was untouchable. Yeah. Uh, you know, as soon as Marty and Wendy figured out that she was questioning them, maybe, you know, as soon as they got the feeling like she might be backdooring them, like Wendy played it yeah. perfect. Yeah. You know, to open that door, like, hold on. <laughs> we can play this game too, Helen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I I like it. I think, I think you might like The Mandalorian which is a spin-off Star Wars thing and it's just one piece but it's it's way more kind of like western um not not really cowboy but like bounty hunter type stuff and it has a completely different feel to it than most of the other Star Wars stuff so you may like that i don't know give it a shot and see if you you dig it or not do you like MMA at all too um, I'm not against it. I don't, I definitely don't buy it. Okay. You know, but you know, after I watch all the highlights from, yeah, them, yeah, yeah. but I don't get, you know, I don't get pumped to, to stay up on Saturday night to watch. It. No, you don't want to watch people punch each other in the face at one o'clock in the morning. Uh, well, the other side of that is up until like six months ago, you were playing. Yeah. yeah. Now, if it was on, I mean, there was times it was on. Like across the bar on it was on a TV, but <laughs> well, um, Gina Carano, she's a uh, she used to be MMA, and now she's trying to get into more acting. But she's in the the Mandalorian. She's really good. She's just this big bruiser of a person, and beats the crap out of the Mandalorian pretty good here and there, which I like. Um, so I, I think I think that would be a a, a starting point for you. Because it's way more like modern, but gritty as well, and it's a lot. I think it's a lot more thoughtful, and you might you might dig the the stories that are in there a little bit more than uh, the other ones. Because all the other ones are very like high fantasy, you know, space shit for the most part. And if you don't like any yeah. of the other stuff like that, this one grounds it so much, and these are much smaller stories. That you might dig it. And I don't know if you like Bill Burr or not, but he's in there too. Uh, for the most part, it's sports movies. Okay. Like I'll, I watch 
I've watched every football movie, every baseball movie, or just total nonsense comedy. I like that. But that's for the most part. That's pretty much where I, the lane I stay in. Yeah, I, I even the uh, like the the superhero stuff. I didn't all the Avengers and you're not into it. Batman, Superman, not really. Dead. I watched both Deadpool's. Loved uh, Deadpool's awesome. Yeah, but as far as the rest of them, man, I don't even like dislike them. I mean, I I have seen some of them, but when a new one comes out, it you know it doesn't hit me like oh right we gotta right. Go see that. It's kind of like oh yeah, it's a one whatever. <laughs> That's funny. I don't know the last comedy that I watched that was just like this is one of the funniest things that I've seen. the The last one that I remember that I I fully enjoyed all the way through was Twenty One Jump Street, the the first one that they remade. Because yeah. I thought that was just crazy, and they actually did it right. And then they had the little cameo with Johnny Depp and all this other stuff. I remember laughing really, really hard with that. I don't remember any other comedies that have come out at any any time recently that I even kind of liked, which makes me sad. Ice Cube was my favorite part of that whole movie. Oh yeah, I thought he was <laughs> he was just so perfect in both of them. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's perfect. Okay. Yeah. Outside of Ozark, have you been watching anything else? No. My wife was watching, what's the one with uh, Reese Witherspoon? It was on Hulu, not Netflix. Uh, Something about fires. Uh A bunch of little fires. I don't know. She was watching, I think, the second episode of that. And there's only eight. Okay. But I think I ended up seeing like probably five or six out of the eight. Um, Nothing nothing else like consistently watching. For the most part, um, even when it, everybody else is watching stuff, I've been down here like just trying to organize this whole space. Yeah. I had one drum kit in here and then it I moved it three times inside of this room trying to figure out like how I wanted it set up the best. And then uh then I mic'd it all up, did some test recordings with that, didn't like it, moved it out to the other room, brought another kit in. Move that around, wired it up, and that's what I've been doing all day today is just EQing and Figure, mic checking, yeah. drum checking, everything. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's that's a project by itself. I just, I got a new desk and just trying to like put all that stuff together and make it to where it's presentable because I want to make sure that I have like all the cables kind of hidden, everything set up. Yeah. That way I don't have to worry about it. It's all good to go. Like even that was a lot. I can't imagine having to try to figure out how to a make it look like it's it's something that you can play all the time, right? And it's in a space that you actually like because I'm sure that you got to get comfortable, right? You got to make sure that you're able to to not feel super trapped behind there, right? And then b you don't even know how to record quite yet, so you trying all the all the things for that, <laughs> like that's I think that's fantastic, and it's. Uh, the way the room is set up, I'm. It's not like I'm a long ways away, but when I hit record here, I've got 25 steps until I actually sit down at the kit. Mm. So th- every time I record something, there's 30 seconds of blank space <laughs> just for me to get there and even start doing something. I guess that's a good way to just like count it into it, right? You just got to count in for 30 seconds, yeah. then go for it. <laughs> that's funny. It's been cool though, like. uh my the kids are getting involved and Carly and I have already recorded a few things. 
Cohen and I did a semi-punk version of Love Me Do earlier this week. Yeah. He had a blast with that. That's so. what I was going to ask you. Are the are the kids into it? They're they're helping you out. They're they're trying to do anything with it. Carly's definitely helping. Like she's interested in learning how to like as far as we had gotten in band lab, she was interested in that and she was, you know, she was down here like recording her own vocal track and then she'd go in and start messing with it. But as far as like lining things up, cutting it here and there and figuring out when to add tracks and like she needed help with, but she's definitely interested. Cohen, not so much. He, he thinks it's just very simple. Like, (laughs) yeah, I'll just play it one time and it's perfect. That's not how that works. Yeah. Yeah. Have you talked to the, your family about like writing a song and recording a song together? Not a uh, completely original song. Okay. We are, we are in the process of, uh, rewriting Disney song for mm. the uh, quarantine. That'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, two weeks ago, my buddy Brad rewrote the words to Do You Want to Build a Snowman to be based on the quarantine. Okay. And it was, it was uh, Do You Want to Drink on FaceTime? <laughs> right. So, yeah. like, I saw it, like, learned how to play it real quick, shot a video. That's, it's on Facebook and YouTube and stuff now. It's a whole yeah, yeah, song of Do You Want to Drink on FaceTime? Last week, he did a song from Mulan. I had never heard it, but my daughter and I did that one. So now the five of us are are working on one of those. So we'll see how that turns out. That's fantastic. I'm excited to hear it. Yeah, you have a, a little experience with that, right? You've been recording some stuff, and uh, that's one thing that we didn't really talk about last time is the the songs that you've put on records and singles and EPs, you know, I'm sure what you're doing now is completely different as far as the recording process for sure than what you did before. Right. Absolutely. So the, the first album, uh, enjoy the ride that came out in 2018, that one, I recorded that in Baltimore at my buddy Jerome studio. I'd known Jerome for a while. He's a, a sound man. Also, he was running sound for us. Here and there. Jerome's the drummer for Jimmy's Chicken Shack. Oh, cool. Okay. So I went in with him and even the, to me, I'm thinking like, oh, well, I'll go in, you know, I'll knock out these drum tracks and, you know, scratch acoustic, scratch vocals, like a couple of hours, bam, it's only six songs, <laughs> yeah. two of which were acoustic. It was just vocals and guitar. Of course, like it didn't happen like that. I was, it had been so long since I played to a click, like even that was just right, slowing the right, process right. down. And he's so used to being on the click that as, as soon as I've missed the first one, he boom, nope, start over. Wow. <laughs> so, but I'm glad he did. I mean, it ended up the, it ended up just making the whole thing better for sure. So on that one, I, I played all the drums, all the acoustic guitar, uh, some rhythm, and then the Beans guitar player, Brad McLean, Brad came in, played all the bass tracks and played all the lead guitar. And then on the song, Enjoy the Ride, my buddy Frank came in. He's a guitar player in Baltimore, too. He played some slide on it, which really gave it the the extra feel yeah, that it needed. Yeah. Slide guitar is fantastic. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And Frank is like, he can he can play any style some guys can play any style but you can tell 
what their real style right. is. And Frank is one of those guys. He's like a full-on chameleon. Whatever the song is, he falls right into it. So He crushed it. That's fantastic. So that album came out March of 18. That was a six-song EP. The day it came out, it ended up going to number 10 on the iTunes country oh. chart. Yeah. It was so, I mean, now it didn't last long. <laughs> you, know, I think it, 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 you know how iTunes chart yeah, works. Yeah. You know, it lasted like 24 hours. But still, you know, I got I got some screenshots of it being there. So hey, can... <laughs> yeah, that, that top 10's got to feel good. <laughs> One day when my kids don't believe it, I'll be like, oh, no. I was, dad was there. Right. <laughs> I, I bet you they don't believe you now. Like, uh, it sounds like Owen won't believe you until he has to actually like write his own songs or record his own songs that, oh yeah, this actually takes time. Like you have to do it a couple of different times. <laughs> yeah. He's, you know, I'm no, I haven't done anything to any of them. <laughs> I am, I'm nobody. <laughs> right. Right. Well, you're, you're just the, the dad that, that shows up here and there and be like, oh yeah, you play music. That's cool. I'm going to go ahead and play music too. <laughs> I'm better than you. I don't know if you know this, but I'm already better than you. Oh yeah. Yeah, Cohen all the time is like, oh, hey, can you do this? And he'll like try to do some, <laughs> something on the drums. And I'm like, yeah, dude, I can do that. That's, <laughs> I like that. I like that because he yeah. he's coming up with stuff and he's like, oh, yeah, I, I got him. I, I can beat him. You guys got to have two drum <laughs> kits at the same time and doing a little battle. You got to film it. Yeah, we've, uh, we've done a little bit of that. We have it. So there's one in here and then there's two out in the main room that are face to face for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta <laughs> show them a little bit when, um, when you wrote that record, did you have all the songs? Cause you were playing so many different instruments when you're writing, are you writing like the melody and then just like the drums kind of come in whenever, are you trying to come up with like a, a lead in there that you're like, Oh yeah, this is kind of a cool riff. I'm good with that. Or like, what, what's the process for you? Cause some people can have the whole song kind of built in their head and be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to do this, this, and this other people will have kind of like the, the parts of it here and there, and then eventually bring it together. So I don't play lead guitar at all. <laughs> like I'm, I'm a, a strummer and a drummer. I like that. I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for me, it's very, it's uh, lyrical. Okay. You know, and whatever melody is in my head, like I just find the guitar part that matches it. Sure. I rarely go into something with a, a guitar riff. I mean, there's times I come up with like little guitar licks all the time. And for what, I just can't work backwards in that way. Okay. If I if I come up with a guitar lick first, I can't find the melody over top of it, which is really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> but so all of those songs that I wrote, you know, the I also wrote those songs over the course of like five years, right? Five six years, right? So a lot of them I was playing out at acoustic gigs on a regular basis. Some of them even transformed a bit from when I initially wrote them just from playing them out at acoustic gigs. Yeah. And so going in there, I already, you know, I kind of had the songs locked down in my head. So to, to sit down and just play drum, I didn't necessarily like think 
oh, this is what the drums need to do here or there. You know, I didn't necessarily like think about it, but I guess it's in some way I must have thought about it because I just kind of sat down and did it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess that's just from playing for so long at that point. But as far as like coming up with riffs and kind of giving each song it's uh an individuality a lot of that was was brad gotcha okay the first i don't even i don't even remember what order the songs are but <laughs> the first couple songs are kind of not necessarily not cheesy but uh i guess they would be the radio friendly ones sure yeah and uh so he definitely played a big part in finding the the riffs and the leads in those but there's one song called life of the party which he played a absolutely ridiculous guitar lead on you know i feel like he doesn't get any credit because it's just my name on the album right right you know when somebody downloads it like if somebody has an actual cd they could see his name on the back but when you download it there's no way for me to give brad credit for what he did yeah so yeah so many people don't even realize like it's a it's a really badass lead i try to give him props all the time but he also doesn't care he's that kind of guy where it he could have wrote the lead to Freebird, and he'd be like, "Oh, it's trash." Because <laughs> <laughs> he's he's the noodler, right? Like he's he's the one that can play whatever without even knowing yeah. what the song is, which is annoying. Exactly. Yeah. Now, yeah, I will say in the studio that was interesting though because he's also he would get in that mode where he would just like feel something and do it, but then you know we'd go have to go back and record it again, and he'd be kind of like the hell did I just do? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's, he, he wasn't necessarily like sitting down, like writing leads note for note either. He was just kind of getting in there and having at it. But that one, that lead turned out cool. I like that because there, there's two ways to, to look at it. Right. So these songs that you, you've had for years, you're playing mostly stripped down acoustic solo stuff for the most part. You're, you're not having full band uh, backing in there. So you don't really have that full sound, it sounds like, until the recording for the most part? Yep. One of the songs, the Beans actually started playing. There was a song called, uh, I think I wrote it in 2015. And uh, it was right around the time that like Florida Georgia Line was really blowing up. Okay. It was, uh, they had put out the first song, Cruise, but it was before they got Nelly involved with it and went, total pop Mm -hmm. bullshit (laughs) but as soon as they did that then it was like that's exactly where every radio country song right so we were just in the group chat one day talking about new songs to learn and i don't even remember what somebody brought up a song and i'm like all these songs are exactly the same like give me five minutes and now i can write one of these so i wrote a song called whiskey rock and roller in seven minutes it was total cheese like it was meant to be just like that bullshit as a joke and then probably like 2017 the demo of it popped up in my voice memos as i was going through them and i'm like well now like i wrote this song as a joke but now in comparison to how stupid country music has gotten this song ain't even that bad (laughs) so i actually I actually like took it to practice and we started messing with it and like turned it into an actual cool kind of song. It's not even like, it's not even, you know, stupid as 
<laughs> the way I wrote it. That's funny. But that was the only one that the Beans really played. But that one had a full sound for a while. So when we went in to record that, Brad and I both knew exactly where we were going with that one. Gotcha. That that makes way more sense. Because if, if you're doing mostly just like your acoustic stuff, you don't really have that kind of a, that sound for you as far as the whole the whole idea of the song. Right? Because I guess yeah. you could do just an acoustic record. That's fine. But you probably wanted a full band, right? For sure. And it, I mean, at that point, the whole reason that the album came about was uh, the more I was playing solo gigs and the more I'd write a song and you know, I'd play it here and there. And then, well, people started requesting all my original tunes. So then after a while, I was like, well, I got to, I got to give these people something. <laughs> and I got to give them something more than just the same acoustic version. Like what's the, I'm not doing myself or them anything, but I just keep pounding out this same old acoustic one. Like let's, let's get real with it. And it all kind of fell in the line too, where we had the beans had a, a sound guy. We had our own sound guy from 2008 until 16. Mm-hmm. He decided to call it quits. I think we got into that part one of this when, uh, cause he lived over on yeah, the Eastern yeah, shore. Yeah, yeah. He's the one that uh, should have had all the money throughout the entire band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when he decided to, uh, to call it quits, then that's when Jerome started running sound for us. Either him or one of his guys pretty much became our full-time crew. Okay. So Jerome and I were talking two, three, four times a week and uh, we just got to be really tight. And then he heard a couple of those songs. He knew that I was writing all this stuff and he, he was the one who's kind of like, well, dude, I got the studio, man. Come yeah. let's put them down. Like, let's do yeah. it. Not to mention, I mean, he gave me a stupid deal <laughs> on the cost. He even, but after I was long after I was done, I think I was done in late November or early December and it didn't release till March because he was so he wanted his end of it to be perfect. Right. He spent so much of his time mixing and just trying to really make it perfect because he liked all the songs. He liked what I was doing and he, you know, he wanted to be, he wanted to get behind it and make sure that everything he could do to make it right was right. I I like that. Which was awesome. Yeah, because then it probably validates you a little bit too because now you have someone that's actually like fully on board with what you're doing by not even just doing the you know, the acoustic stuff here and there, but also you're you're having someone that loves your music for what it is and wants to make it sound as good as possible. Like they validate your art yep. to make it even better for you, right? Exactly. I dig that. Now you have that and you have a couple other stuff outside of that. When you were recording that, how does that compare to some of the other stuff that you put out as far as the little singles? So that album, that came out in March... And then in May of 18, I lost my dad. My dad passed away. Shortly after that, my buddy John Hunt had posted a video on Facebook and a lady commented on it. They started sending messages back and forth talking about this and that. Well, come to find out, she was married to Vern Gosden before he passed Mm, away. Um, Now, Vern was... He was definitely popular in the late 70s, early 80s. That was probably his like 
prime sure. era. Uh, obviously, he's not as huge as George Jones or somebody in that time period, but he definitely had a full resume of hits, number one hits. And uh, John and I both listened to Vern stuff and a lot of guys who have covered Vern songs since then. And John was on the same path as as I was. Like he had a bunch of songs he was ready to record. He had cut a couple songs at a studio in uh, Akakik, I think. Okay. Somewhere over there. And so anyway, John gets talking to Beverly about recording. She invites him down to Nashville. She's got a whole group of people that she she's kind of like the, the talent scout, mm-hmm. I guess. And then there's a whole group, a producer, and then a whole band that she works with. And they'll rent out a studio for a day and she'll bring in artists and everybody will go in, cut their tune. So John's like, well, it costs such and such amount of money. So I can only, right now, I can only afford to go down there and cut one tune. Which one should it be? So he sends me a couple songs. I'm like, oh, we should definitely do this one. And, you know, when are you going? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, I'll go down and I'll just, I'll sing the harmonies on it for you. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Well, then they keep talking. And at that point, in the middle of June, when somebody passes away and you're in charge of the situation, mm-hmm. then you pretty much, you just, there's a shit ton of things you have to yeah. do kind of doesn't matter how you feel so much like you just have to do it and so that's where i was the funeral and getting stuff straight getting everything out of his house and just going through all that stuff you know it was like a month later where it really everything had settled down and that's when it like started to weigh on me the most right because now you actually have time to think instead of just act yeah and uh which is uh is how I ended up I wrote a, a song the uh the first single that I cut in Nashville is called By My Side and I was on my way home from work one day I don't even remember was, I think a song came on the radio or something and it just made me think about my dad but I thought about it in the sense of I grabbed my phone to call him mm. and that you know is you know grabbed it as soon as I look at it you know then it, mm-hmm. it hits me so that song starts with this afternoon, I grabbed my phone with the thought of dialing your number on my mind. So in the middle of June, I just I told my wife, I was like, I just, I got to get out of here. My dad was a big fan of driving. Okay. If he had the time, like he would just drive to anywhere and find something to do. If anybody else had to go somewhere and weren't, you know, didn't like my grandparents wanted to go to Tennessee or whatever, my dad would drive. Even if he had no reason to go there at all. He would drive just because they needed to go. Yeah, I like that. So I told my wife, I'm like, I just I just gotta go for a drive. Like I'm I might go to Nashville. I might I had a uh an offer to audition for the voice in Atlanta. Okay. And so I left on a Monday morning and I was like, uh, I'll let you know. Like I might go to Atlanta, I might go to Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> and I just I went to Nashville and Hung out for a couple of days and came back on Wednesday and uh, just met a met a few people, made a few connections. So then got back. Then I was talking to John and I'm like, well, hey, when you go down to record your song, is the session booked or is there any open slots? So 
he asked Beverly, and she was like, well, we can make it happen. Nice. So I went down, and that's when I cut the first one that was uh, by my side. We went down in November, and uh, we were at Ocean Way Studios, which is, that's one of those things where, I don't know, we didn't even realize, like, we had, we had heard of Ocean Way Studios, but uh, we just, we had no idea what we were walking into until we walked in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's like as legit as legit gets when it comes to Nashville Studios. Right, because it's not what Austin was dealing with when we tried going down there, right? No, not at all. <laughs> this this was actually like a, a legit producer, legit everything. Yeah, this, uh, you know, this is gold and platinum records hanging all over the walls and uh, n- new school, old school, George Jones, Keith Whitley, Garth Brooks, Reba McIntyre. George Strait, up to Keith Urban, Dirk Bentley, and Luke Bryan. Was that intimidating at all for you? Um, I guess a little intimidating. More uh, overwhelmed. Yeah. Okay. I think was the in- initial feeling. Just like this is this is real. Like this is this is not Baltimore. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> On top of that, uh, once we finally get in the room, then. Uh, the guy who runs the the show, the producer, is Buddy Hyatt. He doesn't really do too much in the new school of country, but 80s and 90s, Buddy worked with everybody. He plays keys, sings. He was in Toto for a while. Cool, okay. So he's the one in charge of the whole deal. And then Brent Mason plays lead guitar. And uh, that was, I think that was the biggest kind of starstruck thing for me is both my parents were country music fans and so we used to watch all the award shows you know in the 90s and brent mason won musician of the year i think it was like 93 to 2007 really yeah he'll be in the country music hall of fame i think they normally wait until somebody passes away before it happens but it's you know without a doubt brent mason will be in the country music hall of fame in the 90s like he played all of alan jackson's albums okay like chatted chatted that's Brent Mason. Yeah. So to to walk in the room and he's standing there and knowing he's about to play on your song, like that was that was phenomenal. And just a super cool guy. But then, you know, as we're talking to different guys, Mike Johnson played Pedal Steel and he and I are talking between takes. I don't remember how it came up. I think I just asked him something about you know, do you like being in sessions like this where, you know, it's a bunch of people you don't know are bringing in songs and you pretty much learn them on the spot. And he's like, yeah, it's a, it's a blast. Like it really opens us up to be able to get a little creative. He said, my normal gig is great, but, uh, you know, we play the same songs hmm. over and over and over. And so I'm like, Oh, who's that with? He's like, oh, I, I play with Brooks and Dunn and Reba McIntyre in Vegas. <laughs> what? <laughs> so not only, oh, that that's, okay. I, I wouldn't know how to feel about that. Like, I interviewed uh, a guy named Don Zentera, and he owns Inner Ear Studios up in uh, Arlington. And that's where Minor Threat came from, Fugazi, if you if you've seen um, Foo Fighters did like Sonic Sounds or Sonic Highways or something like that, 
um, he's on yep. there. Like that that studio's on on there because it's such a like a big important studio for the DC area. And Dave Grohl is from yeah. here, so he he's worked with him. And yeah. I was so nervous that I scrapped the whole interview. I couldn't I couldn't talk. Like, and it was so weird because I was on his show and it was fine. It was good. Like the chemistry was there. <laughs> we were talking. I was able to like get everything out. It was no problem. As soon as it was like my turn to run everything and be that person, the the whole dynamic shift. And I I think about that sometimes. And I was like, man, why a why was I so nervous? B how how can I like have that not happen again? And I don't know for you, but I would imagine if I'm writing a song and coming into a studio with a song, not only do I have a musician of a year for almost 15 years in a row, but I also have the dude that's playing with Reba and Brooks and Dunn. I don't know how I would feel at that moment. As soon as he said that, like my initial thought was like, don't, don't show your actual reaction <laughs> on your face. Like try to don't, don't let him see the yeah, holy yeah, shit. Yeah. You know, like, so it's like the kind of from that point and the whole thing was just like just try to try to remain normal somehow that's funny you know like you can you can call your mom later and tell her reba mcintyre is my mom's favorite yeah, yeah. musician ever so the fact that mike plays with reba like i knew my mom was gonna lose her shit and so it's just like you know you can deal with all the excitement later just try to try to play <laughs> cool right now that's so funny like i was so i was raised my my mom's really into country so all the the names that you're telling me like alan jackson reba and all that stuff garth like that's that's what i was raised on for the most part until i figured out what punk was yeah. and then i was just like nah yeah. i'm gonna go listen and be angry over here yeah exactly you know it's i had no idea who brent mason was until you said it. And now yeah. like he's in my mind he is one of the more prolific country musicians probably that has ever been in my generation. Oh, absolutely. I had no idea. As a music fan in general for me, like that makes me feel bad because I should know like <laughs> I should know that name. It's it's not like I shouldn't know Garth Brooks and his alter ego Chris whatever. I should know you know, this dude that played everything. Like, Chattanooga is such a fun song. Like, just as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, yeah, I know that guitar, that whole part. Like, it's so good. Yep. And so, Brad Paisley is, I mean, a phenomenal yeah, yeah. guitar player. And everybody knows that Brad Paisley is a phenomenal guitar player because he writes and sings and he's the artist. Right. Brent doesn't get that kind of recognition because... Even is he a better guitar player than Brad Paisley? Well, <laughs> hell yeah! Like they Brad Paisley. Paisley probably spent years and years and years learning how to play Brent Mason tunes oh, yeah. to attempt to get on that level. But Brent's not the artist, and I mean he's been on tour with guys, but he's most of his career has been in the studio, and so those guys they don't get the the name recognition like that. You know, if it wasn't for my parents watching every award show and them being fans of that, I, I wouldn't right. know who he was either. So that whole, the way that they work, 
there is just, it's mind blowing. You know, I had to send an acoustic version of my song like a week before I went down. And Buddy goes through, he listens to the song, he writes everybody a chart. So when John and I walked in the room, we recorded our songs back to back. Everybody comes in, stands around a table, Buddy hands them all a chart. They listen to my acoustic version one time. Then everybody goes in the room, bam, bangs it out. That is that is just silly. Yeah. They they played it, they got to the uh they got to the lead. And then they stopped. But he was like, ah, in your acoustic version, like you left four measures here for lead. I think it should probably be eight. And then let us kind of walk it back up into the last chorus, blah, blah, blah. So then they started over, ran it all the way through. At that point, like the hamburger is cooked. Right. And then everybody just kind of goes back. Like the bass player is like, uh, yeah, let me let me get line 27. I missed a note right there. And then he's just like, boom, boom, (laughs) fills that in. And then, you know, everybody kind of goes around the room, like whatever couple spots they missed. And then everybody leaves. And then Brent sits in there for like another 10 minutes, put in all the, all the noodle parts and all the finesse parts and then rip the lead. And dude, within 15, 20 minutes, like your track is done. That's insane. Yeah. And then that afternoon, you know, then you go to Buddy's house and you cut the vocals. Wow. Yeah. That's got to be a surreal experience because you're looking at like, oh shit, like these are professionals. Like I thought I played music. Like these are professionals. Yeah. No, I remember saying to John after they did, I, we did my song before we did his. Okay. So I want to actually think, I think it was 12 minutes. One, either he or I timed it and or just happened to look at the clock like as we went in sure, yeah, yeah, and then when it was done, it was like 12 minutes. Like my music was done. I remember looking at him like, dude, I, I can't even play an instrument. <laughs> <laughs> but, and it was the same thing for him. Like, you know, then they're done mine and everybody comes back in and, you know, a couple guys are like, Hey man, that's, that's a great tune, blah, blah, blah. And then they get around the table. Everybody gets their chart. They listen to John's song. Boom. Same thing knock it out that is so wild i i wouldn't know how to to feel like i go to shows and then i realize like immediately i have no business owning a guitar like there's there's just <laughs> why am i doing this like first of all i don't know how fingers work that's not like none of this is going to work out for me i have no sense of rhythm none of this is going to happen what you guys are doing on stage i don't like it because then i can't do it and i'm never going to be able to do it <laughs> Like that's that's got to be, especially compared to your EP, where you're thinking that it is going to take an hour or two to knock out a couple of these these songs, right? And now they're doing it in literally like the time that you thought. Yeah, and it's a completely different skill gap. That would be mind blowing. I don't know. I don't know how I would feel about that. Did you feel? Did you also feel like a sense of pride that? that song is the one that got worked on by these people and by these professionals? Absolutely. Um, after I wrote that, it w- every the way that everything just kind of fell in line, like I wrote the song and then I drove down to Nashville and then I thought about the possibility of being able to record in that session with John and then it happened. And then 
you know, yeah, there was no question, like even the the money, like it was a stupid amount of money to for one song. But at the same time, it's like, if nobody else ever knows who Brent Mason is, I know who Brent Mason is, and it's totally worth it to me just to know that Brent Mason played on my song. Yeah. Not only that, like, I think we recorded at like 11 a.m. Then we had to go to Buddy's house at four to record vocals. Okay. When he came in, he was like, yeah, you know, right after y'all left, we went to lunch and like all the guys were talking about that song, man. That's a killer tune. Well, I would have paid twice as much money. (laughs) (laughs) Just to hear those words. Just (laughs) (laughs) You mean you are still thinking about it like 10 minutes later? It's worth it. Yeah, because that that's that's almost like you want it to stick with a person, right? Like you want it, you want them to have fun with it. Like you, if you're gonna put something like that, you want to make sure that it, it impacts them too. Yeah, I don't know. Like that's, I'm just trying to like think about like in your shoes when you're writing that song, and then these these people that you've looked up to for decades, and then. Not only are they playing on it, but they're like, oh yeah, I actually like that too. They're not it's not just kind of like a gig for them for the most part. Like yeah. kind of having that 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 nice, oh yeah, I actually like your your art. Like this isn't just me saying it. This isn't just me like putting my own like spin on it. This is a exactly. good this is a good foundation. This is a good song. So good job. Yeah, for sure. So that one that was in November. Then I went back February and uh we were at Ocean Way that time too. And that time I did a song called A Little Less Young. I was gonna go I was gonna be down there right around my birthday. Okay. So I wrote this song and it's you know, the hook is I ain't getting old, I'm just a little less young. Yeah. And I totally wrote it like it's it's full on written as a nineties tune. It's a cool tune, but I'm going to purposely write this thing in Brent's wheelhouse so, you know, he can just (laughs) give it to business. That song is very, uh, very radio. I I can't even think of like what to compare it to now. Just a standard 90s country song. Sure. Okay. So that's that song didn't have the same meaning behind it as as by my side did. But the uh, I said the cooler part of that experience is then walking back into the room and now you know i'm not being introduced to brent mason and buddy hyatt and these guys it's like you walk in they're like oh hey what's up man how you been blah 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 yeah like now we're just normal acquaintances you're one of them (laughs) yeah that's ah that is that's that's gotta feel good oh yeah that's that i think that's fantastic because then yeah, you gotta you gotta feel like oh yeah I I belong here too like I'm I'm okay like it it's cool uh, I I came back with another song you guys remember me I'm so excited because I I I also imagine like all the all the uh, the excitement that you may have like that that feeling of overwhelming once you see all those gold and platinum records you know you're just like what you were saying you can't let kayfabe drop right you can't say oh yeah I'm I'm cool. Like it's okay. I am so giddy inside. I am a child inside, but I I am cool. I'm with you guys. And now that that feeling of oh yeah, you guys. All right, we are on the same page. We are on the same. We're never on the same level, but we are kind of, you know, we're in the same right. field. How's that? Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So and then I actually wrote 
on the flight home from that one. Oh, that so that one, it was supposed to be the same thing where we cut the the track in the morning, and then do vocals in the afternoon. Something happened that afternoon, and uh, this trip, like I I flew in on Tuesday morning, and my flight to leave was Wednesday morning. Oh wow! And yeah, it was just in and out just for this song. But then for whatever reason, we couldn't do vocals Tuesday afternoon. So buddy's like, yeah, we can't do them until tomorrow night. Now I'm kind of like, oh, I got to take off another day at work. I got to change my flight. You know, my wife was here with all three kids. Mm-hmm. Like we're right in the middle of school. And so I'm calling her and I'm like, I don't know. I'll just, you know, I'll just come home as planned. Like I'll figure something out. And she's like, what? <laughs> no, like you're, you're already there. Like, don't worry about all that. And then I had a buddy of mine who totally hooked my plane ticket. He's like, don't worry about it. I got you. So everybody was just like fully on board with with that one. And uh, so it all worked out. That's got to feel good. Yeah, it was awesome. And then so Thursday morning on the flight home, I ended up writing a song about my wife, which became the next song that I went back down there to cut with that group. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, that, that's got to feel good, man. Like I having that little, little piece of, you know, you, you have these responsibilities that you think of and you're just like, oh shit, I gotta, I gotta do this. I gotta do that. Like I gotta, I gotta get back home. Like I, you know, I I can't leave people alone. You know, I have to like be a part of that and to know like the team or the family around you has you like, don't worry about it. We're good. Go ahead and do what you're you're doing. That's got to feel amazing, and just that support has to be able to push you through, right? And that's that's pretty much exactly what the uh, the song that I wrote on the way home is exactly that. Not just that specific situation, but throughout the uh, the whole Beans run. And so the the song is called "Just About Me," but the actual full line says it ain't just about me anymore. Right. And it kind of goes through how she was there. She's always been here taking care of the kids. Like however many gigs I was playing a week or a year, whatever in the early years of the beans, like I definitely not intentionally, like I didn't, I didn't set out to be like, yeah, screw them. Like I'm playing music. Yeah. But I was definitely selfish in the fact of at one point in time, like we talked about us only playing four or five gigs a month. She's like, I mean, you could play once a weekend. You don't have to play Friday and Saturday. Right. Or, you know, maybe you play Friday and Saturday two weeks, but then you're home the other two weekends. I would always say, oh, well, we had already booked these four, but then this one came up and we've been trying to get in this place, blah, blah, blah. That didn't last at all yeah you know i just continually piled on the schedule financially it was great after a while after after we continued to get used to that extra i was always working full-time and that was extra money but then the extra money gets so steady that it just becomes part of the budget yeah and then as that extra money increases you just adjust to the new budget. <laughs> I, I, you know, I used to kind of push it that way. Like, well, you know, we're actually getting paid this much for this one and blah, blah, blah. 
it was definitely made things difficult for quite a while, especially 2010 to like 13 was brutal on her because we, we continually got busier and busier and busier. And then I started adding in acoustic gigs and that was, my son was born in 2010. So 10 to 13 is at that point, my kids were 13 and two, you know, 2010, the girls were 10 and five. Cohen was born. So, you know, you have 10, five and a newborn up until 13, eight and three. I'm here like a few nights a week. (laughs) Yeah. And the 10 year old can only help out so much. Yeah. I mean, at 10, she doesn't just, she doesn't want to be helping. It's only so fun to be the big sister. Like she wants her own time. Like she still has things that she wants to do. You can't do anything with her when you have a, a five-year-old and a one-year-old or a, a newborn. Yeah. So yeah. it was a, uh, it was definitely a selfish period of time for me. It's easy to look back at it now and say, oh, well, it was worth it because of this, this, and this, which it was, but it was also very difficult. Yeah. It yeah. did. It did allow her to, to be home for that, for as long as she wanted like when she went to work back to work at that point she just was ready to go back to work but it wasn't financially yeah she was just like i don't want to be in the house anymore yeah i already feel that so that's that's fine <laughs> <laughs> me and me and one of my other friends talk about this where like we're getting into our 30s we're actually getting paid well for the jobs that we're doing for the most part and it's funny how like those increases in wages just kind of become more problems because you're spending more money because you're you have the money to spend and now you're trying to like do more things and you're just like oh yeah two hundred dollars isn't a bad thing where three years ago twenty dollars was like oh I don't know if if I can actually spend this or not you know it's 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 funny kind of how that works and then you're you're just looking at it where I I like that analogy or not the analogy but like that timeline where you know you're you're still working full time and now this extra money becomes part of the budget because now it's so it's such a, a part of you and it's not like it's in a bank account just like stacking up you know it's not like a separate thing that you can't touch this is something that oh yeah I want I want new things come come and give me yeah that would be the ideal way to do it is this is extra money. It's got its own account, but no, for us, like, all right, I made this much money. We need new tires on the trailer. So, you know, now let's take this out of that. And then, Oh, well, I cracked a symbol. I need a new symbol. And it's like, you're always, you're constantly making money, but then you're pulling from that. Also, it's before you know it, like it all gets dispersed to different places. You know, you don't stack yeah. any of it up. <laughs> no, no. As soon as as soon as you got it, it's gone. And that's it it's it's funny how that works and I don't like it. I wish I was way more responsible cuz then I would be like in a, a way better place. Like you you talk about football players that have millions and millions of dollars and then are somehow already in debt. Yeah. And then you have the other ones that are just like living off of their whatever their like weekly game payment is. And then all the contract stuff is in an investment account or like someone is actually smart enough. Like they're, they're bought a house or, or something like that. You know, you look at those people and you're like, Oh yeah, 
someone's doing it right. The other one is me. And I don't I don't know how to feel about that. <laughs> I honestly I think the biggest issue that a majority of people do without intentionally doing it or even realizing is you know the first time you go to buy a house or if it's not the first house that you buy, if it's the first one you build or like the first, you know, sometimes, yeah, you know, you might have to buy whatever's available at the time. But the the first time you go to buy like your first house that you're really excited about, what's everybody do? Well, how much can we afford? And then everybody, you you qualify for such and such amount. And then you look at everything that's right at that limit. <laughs> right, so it's, right. we all put ourselves in the hole before we even move in the house. <laughs> like, I do not need this house. I don't need all this house. What in the hell? If I could, uh, if I could make any single change, it would be the, this house that I bought. Yeah. I'd have bought way less house. The other problem with this house is there's enough room for everybody to go do their own thing in a separate place. That kind of cancels the idea of family, isn't it? Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> no, the fact that we've all been home for pretty much six weeks now. Or yeah, yeah. It's it's a good thing. Like everybody needs their own space. But <laughs> right at the, at the same time, if uh, if somebody doesn't want to be a part of something, they got places to go. That's funny. Yeah, that's that's good. I mean, I think that's actually probably like the best thing that you can look at is that the fact that uh, if you qualify for a five hundred thousand dollar house, look at like the twos or the threes. See what you actually need. That way, you can go ahead and and say, okay, now I can actually like I don't need all of this, but I I know that I qualify for that, and I can also bank all this money, and then. Maybe I can fix this up a little bit more and then sell it for that that amount. And then if you make enough money that you qualify for a $500,000 house, but you buy a $300,000 house, that means that you're going to have money left over to do things. Yeah. And nobody dies and you know talks about, oh man, I remember sitting on my couch watching Ozark. <laughs> no, they're gonna they're gonna talk about like oh man this one time we went to disney world like the things that they did and that's that's very much where my path the the plan is now to maneuver everything and just have experiences yeah that's it yeah have experience yeah. Have, make make actual memories yep. instead of you remembering that uh someone got shot on a tv show yeah yeah, I'm with you there. I, I like that. I like that. It's one of the things that's kind of like a, a silver lining for me. I had to put down my dog two weeks into the, the lockdown. So it's been about a month or so. And I can't go out to shows. I can't like forget about it. Like it's it's always kind of there, right? The silver lining of it is the fact that I could actually like go once everything settles down, I can go travel more. I can go have those experiences. I can yeah. I can take my time to like really enjoy that again cuz I was trying to travel a lot more with that kind of idea in mind that you were having as far as let's make memories. Like I don't want to just sit back and and sit on the couch this entire time. I want to be able to go to festivals. I want to be able to go like you you talking about um your dad used to like driving and that's 
me. Like I would drive to Chicago. I would drive to Florida. I would drive. I think I drove to St. Louis. You know, that's, that's just, it's kind of like a nice thing where I don't, it's not just a stuffy plane. Like you, you can see stuff, which is another thing that I like. If you've never been to Nashville, the drive to Nashville is awesome. It's just scenery wise. Like it's awesome. It literally, it feels like you're going downhill the whole time. Really? Yeah. I don't even know why. It just does. Huh. The drive back sucks. Because <laughs> you're going uphill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's definitely on my list. I, I really want to be able to go there and, and check it out. Let's get, yeah, let's get out of this quarantine, man. We'll just plan it. We'll go together. I, I dig it. Yeah, let's do it. Take you to the cool spots, not that Broadway bullshit. <laughs> I'm totally down. Yes, that that sounds wonderful. I shouldn't say that. I got I got friends on Broadway. Broadway is cool, but <laughs> they won't. They know what I mean. They won't hold it against me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not the tourist traps, right? Right. There's Broadway's cool and all, but like, yeah. There's other places you got to go that most people are not going to find in their normal weekend getaway. I I dig it. Yeah. That I mean that makes me excited. Are are you looking at writing and recording more? Is that something that you're thinking about? Or is it just kind of like what you've been doing where it just kind of hits you whenever it hits you? I'll get a line or a verse or a chorus or, you know, sometimes half of a song will kind of hit me at one time and they all go in my notes on my phone. So who knows how many songs are in here that they either need a bridge or they need a second verse or whatever. So I'm really trying to finish those now. I don't think I'll go back to Nashville to record with that crew again. It was great. All three experiences were awesome. But um, at the same time, as as impressive as it is how they work, I feel like after these three singles, then on the next one, I'd like to do another like eight or maybe 10 songs. And yeah. But really put the, put the time in to really give each song its proper sound the intros, the outros, and give the overall, the whole album itself, the right feel. Yeah, and I think I think that's the songs that I did with them. Those three songs specifically were singles. Just at the point in time that I wrote them, just the way they came out, they were singles. Like if I, you know, I think about it now. If those three songs were on an album together, they don't they don't mesh. Right. You know, the three of them, they all have a different feel. I don't I don't necessarily have a timeline. Not that anybody in the world can have a timeline right now. We don't know <laughs> what we're doing with our lives. <laughs> but yeah, that would at this point I don't even I wouldn't imagine that I'll release anything this year, but I'd like to get something out in early 21. Yeah, that'll be cool. Do you think that you'll try to really put the work in to record it yourself? No. No. <laughs> I would waste so much time the physical the physical part of playing the instruments wouldn't yeah. be an issue. I would waste so much time in front of this monitor. It's like, where's this at? Where's this at? Oh, that's fantastic. Cause I can I can tell you like EQing and like knowing how to just like make voices sound okay is <laughs> terrible. Like I'd I'm just looking for presets because I don't want to have to drag anything. I don't want to know what hertz are or what like the the actual frequencies are i I don't want to there's there's nothing i I don't need to be in that much of the weeds for it like that's right 
it takes a special person and it, it like the ones that are actually like fully like that's what they love doing recording and and the ones that help you get a, like a develop your sound a little bit i think those are the the real special ones but it's it's something that i i don't think that i want to get past what i'm doing because this is way more than enough i don't need to be like actually dangerous with knowing how to do things <laughs> yeah that's that's how i feel about it it's you know i don't know that um I think my first, I think the EP kind of had a sound, but even those songs definitely had different vibes to them. That's a tricky thing too, because I don't necessarily have like a sound. Right. I can be influenced by any random thing on any given day. I've spent probably the past week listening to a majority of all the pop punk stuff from. Blink and Newfound and Yellow Card, Simple Plan, Mest, Wakefield. But then, who knows, randomly, like, there'll be Jack Johnson in the mix. Or I'll wake up tomorrow and just listen to Waylon Jennings all day. So (laughs) you got to start throwing some, uh, you got to start throwing some hip hop in there. Get some real dirt and grime in there. You see, I had my Wu-Tang shirt on last night. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was hoping for. Like, you got to just throw in beats with your stuff not so not make it like oh what was that um what was that it was nelly and was it tim mcgraw was that yeah yeah so it's so weird how that that happens but anyway but i i think you need to get like country hip-hop that's good i don't know if you can do that i don't i don't know if that's a thing that's so it's funny you say that because uh like the country there is country rap out there and I hate it. <laughs> and, then, and then there's like uh, Florida Georgia Line who puts Nelly on a song and that sucks too. Yeah. <laughs> rap in general, I'm not a rap fan. Uh, I've never necessarily been a rap fan except for Wu-Tang. Hey. I yeah. freaking, I love Wu-Tang. And especially Old Dirty Bastards, first album. Dude, I pretty much know that whole thing front to back. That's fantastic. I have a song that I fight myself about writing. I want to write it, and then I turn around and tell myself, like, what kind of hypocrite are you to write this song? (laughs) And the song, like, I love Waylon Jennings, and I love Wu-Tang, and the song's called Little Waylon, A Little Wu. I don't even know how long I've been attempting to write this song. And like one day I'll think, well, nah, I should, I should first, I should get the beat down. I'll go through, I'll listen to that first 36 Chambers album and be like, yeah, it could kind of be this tempo. Like, then I think, well, it'd be real cool if it just had these random claps in it. Like Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with. Yeah, yeah. And just for And then the other side of me is like, nah, it should be, it should be more like a Waylon tune. <laughs> it it should just rhyme like Wu Tang. And I go back. I've started writing this song. Like I've written, I've probably written ten verses. It will happen one day. But at this point, this thing is not coming together. You got to find someone that shares your, not really an idea, but like that that sound. 
for the Wu-Tang beats because it, it's it's not really a thing too much nowadays. Right. Any of that style is not really a thing that happens right now. Not at all. Yeah. And that's that's just all RZA, man. Because yeah. like even not even just like 36 Chambers had that sound, but then both of Jizz's first albums, Liquid Swords and uh, Beneath the Surface, like just the tracks to those songs are. Yeah, you got to I think you got to find someone that you can just talk to and like say, hey, you know, this is these are the beats and the styles that are in my head. What can you do to to kind of like mold this into a sound that I can write on top of? Because then then it gets kind of like once you hear it out loud, I feel like that's probably where your your wheels start turning a little bit more. Yeah. But then I also have to like just re completely talk myself into like, yes, it's okay. Yeah, you gotta commit to it, right? Cause some like I'll I'll get right in it and then I'll tell myself like as much as you like bash like <laughs> you're doing it right now all the stuff that you talk shit about and i i know the difference but yeah. you know the whole reason that Waylon got famous is because he just stopped listening to everybody that told him he wasn't good enough and he just went off and started doing his own thing rizza did the same thing and eventually that's what made woo happen yeah like every they wanted him to be Prince Rakim and you know, that was cheesy. That was Florida Georgia line. And then he was like, well, I don't think it was that bad, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was like, ah, this ain't me. That's funny. Actually, uh, I had a friend of mine who's a graphic artist take the Wu Tang W and Wayland's W and mesh them together. Yeah. So that's it's probably out I know it's out there somewhere, but I don't think it's any of my current profile pictures but it's definitely floating around out there on my social medias i like it yeah i I don't know like i think that you have to commit to it there is something where like it it can be good like there's there's tons of hip-hop out now that is good like it's still happening and we just don't hear it as often right we we just especially on the radio we just don't hear it and it's that's the same thing with good country music. There's yeah, there's plenty of great country music out there. I feel like people would understand that it's a good song. Like a good song is a good song. You just have to convince yourself that it could be a good song. Yeah. At some point, I'm just I'll I'll say screw it and not really care if anybody likes it or not. I'll do it for myself. We'll get there. Yeah, just jam it around the house. Make your son listen to it all the time. You're like this is this is my the pinnacle of music. I just want you to know, like you can do the the things with the drums. I can do all of this. I can say I never thought there would be a time. Yeah, you know, I would tell my kids like to listen to Wu Tang, but <laughs> my oldest my oldest is nineteen, so you know she's in her car listening to Little Uzi whatever, or. Some baby, there's the baby, oh, the baby, and yeah, there's all kinds of babies, and and so I tell her all. I'm like, seriously, like, will you p- please just listen to Wu Tang? <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. And she just she don't want any parts of it because you know she's not cool. If she listens to Wu Tang. She needs to understand one that Wu Tang is forever. <laughs> <laughs> 
too, that they've always been cool, no matter what happens. Like, ever since they came out, they'll always be cool. And all the people that she listens to, and even, like, her peers will know what that W is and be like, okay, yeah, you're cool. It's fine. Like, Lil Uzi and baby is just not doing it. Wu-Tang, Wu-Tang is forever. Yes. Forever. <laughs> That's If you got nothing else from the... Uh... I don't know. We're probably close to four hours of it's close of yeah. chat time here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you learned nothing in the past four hours, <laughs> please remember that Wu Tang is forever. There's <laughs> a, a tip for everybody: if you stream my songs for uh, 24 hours consecutively, you'll get a uh, secret Wu Tang song at the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>